So we're still in strange times, aren't we? We still have so many unknowns and uncertainties. The vaccine rollout is bringing some sense of hope, but there's still different challenges and different concerns. And I was chatting to my brother just this week and he's in England and he was saying one of the things they're thinking about the nightclubs is having a vaccine pass. So if you've got a vaccine, you can obviously access the nightclubs. He said that's brilliant for our grandma, but not so good for him. But it is odd times, isn't it? And it's not just the COVID-19, there's other challenges that are presenting themselves just this week, as we referred to the Sarah Everard situation, the tragic situation there, the concerns around the police and the concerns around the royal family, just different perspectives and different reflections all over social media and all over the news and just how do we respond to this different stuff. But I guess what we need to do in times like this, where there are just different challenges, upheaval, different concerns, different things confronting us, is just look to Jesus. That's why we're in a series about the hope in Jesus. We believe that he is the source of hope. Not the 10 o'clock news, not the latest Facebook feed, but Jesus is the source of hope. So today we're looking at the transfiguration, which I have to say is a bit of a tricky passage. Transfiguration literally means a transformation to a more beautiful and spiritual state. But just as we were talking pre-gathering, Naomi said, well, the disciples didn't understand it. So if we don't, we're in pretty good company. I was actually at the school gates on Wednesday and one of the dads I've got to know was asking me what I've been up to that day. And I said, well, I've been preparing a talk and he pushed me a little further. He knew I worked for a church. So what's, what's that about? And I was trying to kind of sidetrack him because I didn't really want to begin to try and explain the transfiguration. And he said, well, you know what it's about? So it's about kind of Jesus, really. And he said, yeah, but what? And I said, it's a transfiguration. And I made a real dog's dinner. I was trying to explain the transfiguration to him. So hopefully this morning I'll do a better job. But it's just a fascinating part of scripture, a fascinating part of the life of Jesus and the journey the disciples are on of discovering who Jesus is and what he means somehow and that he can be a source of hope for them and indeed a source of hope for us today. So we're going to turn to Matthew 17 and just read from 1 to 6, Matthew 17, 1 to 6. I'm just going to read that to us now. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from a cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. So this passage is at a key juncture in the Gospels because the disciples are still trying to work out Jesus's identity. Up until now, they've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him heal. They've seen him love those in need. They've seen him challenge the Jewish rulers. They've seen him teach about the kingdom of God and say that he's going to inaugurate that. But people are still wrestling with Jesus's identity. Is he really the Messiah? Can he really save them? Is he really the one who's able to lead this kingdom movement? And we look back and think, well, of course he's the Messiah with the sake of hindsight. But at this time, they were still trying to discover who he was. It wasn't so obvious for disciples. Is he really the one they've been waiting for? Is he really the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies? Is he really going to be able to match up to what they've been waiting for and praying into and expecting of a saviour? 
It's also important to know that on one hand, they're trying to wrestle his identity, but soon after his passage is a trip to Jerusalem. They're starting to understand God's mission. And in the passage before one we've read today, it says, take up your cross and follow me. They're challenged to take up their cross and give everything for the sake of Jesus. They're asking, can they really trust him? Can they really trust him for the journey ahead? They're trying to work out who he is, they're trying to understand his identity, understand is he the Messiah, but also work out, can they build their lives upon him? Can they trust him for the journey they're about to embark upon? So Jesus takes his closest friend up the mountain to further reveal his identity. He goes up to a mountain, which is likely to be Mount Horeb, about 9,000 feet, which is quite a Quite a feat, isn't it, climbing that? That's impressive, even for likes of Kenny Roy. But they climb up this mountain. It must have been hard work. And this mountain is on the edge of Caesarea Philippi, which was renowned for being a place of worship, a place of spirituality, and particular waters, and was just renowned for its worshipful atmosphere and God's presence. So he takes them up this mountain to reveal himself. And as we look to the transfiguration today, I want to suggest that we might be in one of two camps. We might be online today thinking is Jesus really for me is he really the Messiah I've heard about him I believe he lived but I don't really believe he lived and died and rose again for me I'm still wrestling with that and why don't you just ask God now that he'd reveal himself to you that you would understand more fully that he wants to have a relationship with you that he came to earth for you for me and he lived and died and rose again for each and every one of us but on the other hand I also think that some of us who believe that because the road ahead is unknown and there's so many uncertainties, there's so many answers we're longing for. What we actually need today is a renewed vision of Jesus, a renewed sense of hope in who Jesus is. You see, we so easily want timelines or definitive answers or information or facts. But what we really long for is a renewed vision of Jesus. My prayer for those of you who are trying to work out is Jesus really for you that you would encounter him afresh. But for those of us who know Jesus, I pray we'd have a renewed vision to carry us for the journey ahead, wherever that will take us. Jesus reveals himself and it leaves Peter, James and John in awe. They are in awe of who Jesus is. And I want to just go through three things today and say that he's amazing. He's worthy of worship and he's eternal. He, they're left in awe. He's amazing. He's worthy of worship and they're eternal. Yes, they spell the letter the word or which i think is incredible some of you will find it quinge and twee but i've just got done that to help us just understand this passage a bit more fully today but jesus is amazing notice that jesus on this occasion doesn't tell them who he is he reveals himself his face shone like the sun and his dazzling white is a sign of his holiness his beauty his power the disciples are literally amazed I'm not sure that human word amazing quite does Jesus justice, but it's the best word we've got. In fact, his presence was so overwhelming, they were face down in fear and trembling. What's interesting in Mark's gospel, the word for fear and trembling and amazing are one and the same. The two go hand in hand. There's a sense of awe and a sense of fear and trembling as we come to the amazement of being God's presence. Why are they fear and trembling? You may remember back to the... Hebrew series that we talked about when Moses went up Mount Sinai, there was fear and trembling when they came into God's presence. When we realized how incredible God was, when we realized how perfect he was, when we realized how unworthy they were in the beauty and power and presence of God, they were trembling in the need of a savior. We don't physically tremble because Jesus has rose again for us. 
when we come to Jesus, we realize we are in awe. We realize that we are revering him. We realize that he is just so much more worthy than we can ever dream of being in relationship with. We come to him with awe and with reverence. Let me ask us this morning, am I amazed by Jesus? Are you amazed by Jesus? Are you more in love with Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you more in love with Jesus today than you were a few months back? I loved what Pamela shared last week in Central Families. Pamela Sell said that what I love about this church is that we are family. But she also said, I come to Central and see people who are amazed by Jesus, who really love Jesus. Do I really love Jesus? Do I really invest in that relationship with him? Do I want to know him in a deeper and more profound way? A few Saturdays ago, I was on a call with some friends from London School of Theology, which was London Bible College. As you can imagine, a Zoom call late at night till 10.30 with some Bible College students was pretty wild. It was pretty insane. But we were chatting and catching up. And afterwards, I hadn't seen these guys for 15 years since Bible College. I came off a call and thought, wow, God, what have you done in me in those 15 years? How much closer I know you, how much more intimately I know you, how much deeper I know you since then. I was just so amazed at how richer my relationship was now than it was 15 years ago. Equally very aware that I've got so much more to discover of Jesus, so much more to learn. I also hosted a call with Florrie Johnson, who's one of our youth, who's a total legend, and Hilary Ingram-Smith. And she doesn't know this, but there's an event called PowerPoint where the two of them were interviewed. And Florrie's one of our youth, and Hilary, I don't know, must be in her late 40s, I guess. She's a bit older than that. But she was being interviewed about her walk with Jesus and just the richness and the depth of that relationship that Hilary has. I was just so inspired and so aware there's so much more of Jesus to discover. I want to learn and grow in my relationships. I want to discover more about Jesus. I want that relationship that Hillary has. I want to keep growing in my intimacy with God. I don't know why I'm being so kind to Hillary. She also said that the best thing about me was my wife. So that's totally history. That's totally forgiven. But I want to have that relationship with Jesus that goes deeper, that knows him in a more intimate and close way. I want to keep pursuing my relationship with him. Jesus is amazing. This isn't a challenge to do more. This is a challenge, an invitation to get to know God who created us, get to know God in a personal way, get to know him in a deeper way. Jesus is amazing. When we look through the stories in the Gospels, we realize that Jesus is incredible. He heals, he loves, he cares for us, he died for us, he rose again for each and every one of us. Jesus is amazing. And because of that, he is so worthy of worship. Jesus is amazing, but he's also worthy of worship. Our sole purpose was to be created to worship and glorify God. In this passage, we really read that Jesus is God's son and in whom he is well pleased. The father sent him. Just pause and think about that. The God of the universe, the God of the creator, sent his son to have a relationship with me, to have a relationship with you. He sent his son to have a relationship with me to walk with me, to journey with me through the hardships I face. By saying that he's God's son, he must by very nature be God. He sent his son to earth to have a relationship with me and he said, I'm well pleased. And if the father sent him, sent his one and only son and says that I'm well pleased with him, then of course he's worthy of worship. 
And the disciples getting a glimpse of Jesus, the beauty, the holiness, the otherness, the recognition that he is God. Of course, they fall face down as we read this passage. A suitable response when we realize how amazing Jesus is, is to fall face down, to get on our knees, to be just in his presence, worshipping him. And then the father says, listen to him. Now, this is the second time that the father has said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. I'm well pleased. The first one was at the baptism, which many of you all know about. But on this occasion, he also says, listen to him. You see, worship is an act of obedience. Even when there's unknowns, even when there's uncertainties, we follow him. We trust in him. Even when it's hard, we give our lives and surrender to his hands. It's saying I'm created to worship. We often do what Peter did in this passage. Peter started to build tents. He started to build obstacles. He's distracted. Tom Wright in his commentary talks about the fact that what Peter did is almost comical. Rather than just being in the presence of the saviour of the world, the incredible presence of God Almighty, he tries to build altars. He tries to build obstacles. He gets, he allows things to get in the way with just the presence of God. How easily we can do this. And just worship him, we're kill, we accidentally build idols. We get obstacles in the way. We can be distracted by what other voices are saying rather than looking solely to the one who is constant. We can be keen to produce rather than just be in his presence. We can worship dependent on what the music is, dependent on what our emotions are, dependent on how we feel. Is it that in this pandemic, the authenticity of our worship is greater than ever, ever has to be? Because it's not about meeting at Central Hall and having people around us. It's about having an attitude of worship, having a heart of worship amidst the storms, amidst the chaos, often alone in our houses. How do we worship in this season let's just get practical this is a hard season to worship congregationally we get that an online charge church is hard but i really encourage you just to engage with worship however you can that congregational worship even though it's online is still deeply powerful and profound in our family i often have alexa i hope i've set some alexas off there but i often have alexa off with, with worship so our house is just full of worship we want to be people who are worshiping amidst the storms people who are praising god amidst the storms what does it look like to have a heart of worship a family a house which is just focused on jesus we want to be singing praise because we're called to sing praise we're called to worship god but we also want to be thankful we want to have thankful hearts we want to be people of praise people who constantly turn to jesus with thankfulness in Philip, the letter to the Philippians, Paul says that we are to worship in all circumstances, in all circumstances, and that includes a pandemic. As a staff team, we try and on Tuesday just have time to thank God for all he's doing amongst us. Paul wrote this letter likely to be chained in prison to a guard, waste high in water, aware that his death penalty was very imminent. And he still worshipped, he still prayed. Sometimes we have to worship God through gritted teeth. Sometimes we have to do it through the hardship, but we keep worshiping because he is God and he's worthy of our worship. And finally, we worship through getting to know God through his word, getting to know Jesus in a deeper way through his story, through his biography in scripture. Spend time meditating in God's word. One of the reasons that we're going to, after Easter, hopefully launch a New Testament 100, where we can look at the scriptures of the New Testament in 100 days, because we want to individually and collectively really get to know God in his word. We want to meditate on his life and the truth of scripture. Jesus is amazing. 
and he's so worthy of worship. What does it look like for us to, through the storms, through the challenges we face, to intentionally go after worship, as hard as that is, as different as it might be from what we remember at Central Hall? We're called to worship, not because God needs it, it's because it's what we're created to do. It's when we're at our most fullest, when we worship God, we praise him through all circumstances. Jesus is eternal. In the passage before, the one we've read, the disciples were asked who Jesus was, and they're wrestling with who Jesus was. And they said, some said he's John the Baptist, some say he's Elijah, and some say he was Jeremiah. And these were all key prophets in the New Testament, sorry, in the Old Testament. And in the passage we've just seen, we see that Moses, uh, Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. So why is he just talking to Moses and Elijah? Why is he left with just them? Well, Moses was the revered Old Testament leader, the ultimate leader of the Old Testament. He was called by God to give the Ten Commandments, to show people the way to God through the law. Elijah was a well-respected and revered prophet who also, along with the other prophets, points towards Jesus. And we see in the scripture, just after the chapter we've read today, that the disciples ask Jesus about Elijah. And he says, Elijah's already come. And what he's saying, Jesus is saying, is that in the form of John the Baptist, to point to Jesus, he's already come. The point being that both Moses and Elijah are pointing towards Jesus. It's often said that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. It all points towards Jesus. This whole meta-narrative, this whole met story points to Jesus. And we also know that the Mount Horeb is both the place where Elijah and Moses had significant encounters with God. Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, and Elijah was sent to anoint a new king and chose a successor from the same place that Jesus was encountering his disciples today. Jesus is categorically saying that all the law and the prophets point to him, and therefore he is the Messiah. He's saying that all the law and the prophets point to him. In this transfiguration, it's all about me. But what's also important to note about Elijah and Moses is that they were never buried. Moses' was, body was never found, and Elijah was taken off in a chariot. They went to be with God for eternity. I read a book recently called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, excellent book by Ruth Haley Barton. And in it, she talks about the fact that Sunday school, we so often get taught about that, that Moses never reached the promised land. And she said that, I just don't believe that. The promised land is God's presence and Moses went to be the better place, which is eternity with God. We reach the promised land, which is eternity with God, a place of perfection, a place of beauty, a place of God's presence forevermore. See, Moses and Elijah in the passage we've read disappear and Jesus is left alone. When the disciples get up, they can only see Jesus. The law and the prophets point to Jesus and only Jesus can take us to eternity. Only Jesus is able to give us everlasting life. It's because Jesus always was and always will be that we can have eternal life. Because Jesus was and always will be that the disciples follow him for the rest of their lives to the grave and the beyond. It gives us strength to keep going because we have eternal life with Jesus. We have strength to face tomorrow. We have strength to keep going, however hard the journey is. What is knowing that Jesus is eternal and that we have eternal life with Jesus if we choose to follow him mean for us today? How does that change our perspective? What does human look like now 
look life look like now, knowing that we are with Jesus forevermore? What does the suffering we're enduring now currently look like in the context of eternity? What do we value now in the light of eternity? Is there more urgency to share this incredible hope we have in Jesus in the light of eternity? Are you in awe of Jesus? Am I in awe of Jesus? With so much hopelessness and despair and reason to be anxious around us, are we rooting our life in Jesus? We so easily want all the answers. We want solutions. We want, the, But the truth is, nothing beyond Jesus is going to sustain us. Everything else is temporal. Our economy, our government, our careers, all of that stuff is temporal. Stop looking to the size of our problems, but look to the magnificence, the awesomeness of God. Let's stop trying to work it out, but let's look for a renewed vision of Jesus. We want the answers. We want solutions. But actually what we need is a renewed vision of Jesus. To turn to him, the awesomeness, the majesty of Jesus. This is where hope is found. We realize that he's amazing. He's the most beautiful, powerful thing that's ever been. And he wants a relationship with you and I. We realize that he's so worthy of worship because he's God, the eternal God. And we realize that he offers us eternal life. We have the strength to keep going. I want to finish by telling a story. In the 19th century, a guy called Blondin was doing all sorts of tricks on the tightrope. There's one situation where he went across the tightrope of Niagara Falls on stilts, another where he sat down halfway across and cooked himself an omelette. Nothing that I can do, but I've decided to focus on ministry. But he did these incredible things with crowds gathered around. And there's one situation where he walked across with a wheelbarrow and he gets across the other side of this wheelbarrow and he says who believes that I could take a human being in this wheelbarrow and they all shout yes of course we believe that of course you can do it and then he says okay who's gonna get in the wheelbarrow silence it's one thing saying we build our life on Jesus it's one thing saying it's a hope but are we prepared to go with Jesus for the journey ahead, the unknown journey. Are we prepared to get in that metaphorical wheelbarrow? Eventually, someone comes forward, creeps up and steps into the wheelbarrow, really nervous, really anxious, as you can imagine. And he walks across the tightrope. As he sets out, some people start to take bets. They start to place bets on whether they'll be successful or whether they'll fall to their fate. Not particularly nice betting, I would say. But they're betting on this, and about two-thirds of the way across, he realizes that they're going to they realize he's going to get across. And one of the people who has a very significant sum of money betting on this realizes he's going to lose a lot of money. So he goes and cuts one of the cords, one of the guy ropes. The tightrope shakes drastically, it quivers and it shakes, and the guy in a wheelbarrow just clings on to Blondin and Blondin says, Hold me. You see, when the storm rages. We cling to Jesus. We hold on to him. We keep trusting in him. We build a life on him. But when it gets too much, he says, grab me, hold me, cling to me. At the end of the section of scripture we read today, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When we get a renewed vision of Jesus, when we get a renewed sense of who his purpose is, how incredible he is, how much he loves each and every one of us. We can rest assured that we need not be afraid. God is so amazing. He's so beautiful. He's so powerful. He's so good. Whether you've never met him before, if you've known him for 50, 60 years, 
I'm going to pray now as we go into worship that we'd have a renewed encounter with him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you came to earth for us, that you revealed yourself to us, that you offer yourself to us, that you want a relationship with us. I pray for every person who's engaging with church right now, that they would have a renewed vision of who you are, perhaps even for the first time, they would get a sense of your majesty, they get a sense of your power, a sense of your longing for an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Come and be with us. In this time that for so many of us is challenging, we pray that we would just push aside in our heads the problems and give that headspace just to focus on you, your incredible love, your incredible goodness. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.